all of us have lost something, right? For what's been, what's been highlighted for most people is what we've lost over this time. We also know that our faith has lost something. We've lost the desire for many people to be together. We've got to fight introspection. We've got to fight being self-centered and pulling towards ourselves and, and choose to pull towards others, towards community. Many Christians have lost the, the desire to read their Bibles. They haven't lost the ability to read. They've just lost the desire to read their Bibles. I think one of the things that we perhaps haven't lost, but certainly one of the things that we don't use well is prayer. I think we don't use prayer as the gift that God gave it to us as. And so I want to speak on prayer this evening. It's going to be a little bit more uh, teaching than a, than, than a preach I would normally do. Um, but I want you to bear with me. I think, I think God is uh, wanting to show us and teach us something this evening. And if you'll, be, if you'll bear with me, I think your prayer life will be all the more richer for it. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, Jesus is talking to um, people selling stuff in the temple. And he says to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. And the word that he uses here for prayer is the Hebrew word tefillah. And this word tefillah, we translate it as prayer, but it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's essentially the pulse and the heartbeat of the entire Jewish spiritual life. Every, every daily office, every weekly office, every monthly office, every yearly office or practice that, uh, that involves the Jewish faith ended, began and ended with tefillah. It began and ended with prayer. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, um, God commands the Hebrew people to love Him with all of their hearts. And so the Hebrews sat down, the rabbis, the teachers of the scriptures, those that sought it out, sat down and said, how do we love God with all of our hearts? What, what is the office, what is the service that allows us to love God with all of our hearts? And they concluded that it was this word, tefillah, that we translate as prayer. So in their minds, we are commanded, they are commanded, we are commanded to love God through prayer with our hearts. It's not just a, something that we do. It's not something that we enjoy doing, and perhaps we do it because it's a good idea. No, friends, it's a command. See, I, th- I say that we don't, I think we don't use prayer as a gift at God, as God gave it to us, because I think for many people, prayer is an activity. We do it today, some, some of us frequently, and some others far less frequently, and then we forget about it. But I think God's desire was never for prayer to be, <coughs> excuse me, was never for prayer to be only an activity that we do. I think God's desire seems to be that prayer is a state of relationship that we exist in. Tefillah isn't an activity. Prayer is not an activity. It's something that we do. It's a state of relationship that we exist in. So when we view it as an activity, what happens is that our prayer life gets reduced to a set of requests before God. We, we, we ask God for things. And then what happens is the more times we ask God for things, we then get covered and, and racked with guilt because all I ever seem to do is ask God for things. And so what happens is then I stop asking, I ask less, and so I pray less. And then Jesus says, you don't have because you don't ask. And I think the reason so many of us don't ask is because we feel guilty asking because that's all we ever do in prayer is ask God. And so we don't have because we don't ask. And we don't ask because that's all our prayer life ever consists of. It's an activity that we do. And so we're racked with guilt. And we never actually have true communion with God. To have communion with God, to commune with God, is to have things in common with Him. If you're in South Africa, it's to have things in common with God. In common. That's what it means. To, to, to have community, to, have, to commune with God is to have things in common, to have shared values, to have shared responsibilities and duties. That's what it means when you live in a, in, in, in a commune and community. And I think the reason that so many Christians' prayer lives are weak is because they don't have things in common with God. 
It's because we don't share values with the God of the Bible. We don't have shared duties and responsibilities with God. We just give everything to God or we take everything for ourselves. There's, there's no sense of community with God. I think that's why our prayer lives are so, so often not what they should be. See, what Jesus, is, Jesus isn't saying in the scripture in Matthew that my house will be a house that asks for things. He's saying my house will be a house of community, of communing with God of shared values, of shared uh, responsibilities and duties. My house will be marked by that. He says, I will build my church, but why don't you come and be a part of the building project? Come and, be, come and build with me. A man called E.M. Bounds writes a book called Power Through Prayer, and he says this, Talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well and with real success to men for God, who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. He wrote the book quite a while ago. That's why he uses that language. Here's what he's saying in essence. He's saying the problem is that we talk to man about God far more than we talk to God about man. We talk to man about God far more than we talk to God about man. Many of us have our backs against the wall, and when we do, we, we, we turn to man. We turn to man for, we seek counsel, and we seek help from man. Friends, if, you, if you're here this evening and you're facing an issue that's causing you stress, that's causing you anxiety, that's causing you, you're facing an issue that you, you need to come through, and if you've spent more time speaking to man about it than you've spent speaking to God, you aren't living in a state of tefillah. You aren't living in a state of relationship of prayer. You you've perhaps have prayed about it, but you viewed prayer as an activity that I do and then I stop doing no, prayer is not an activity that we do. Prayer is a state of relationship that we exist in. Here's what Jesus says about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, in the message version, it says this. When you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think that God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. The NIV says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father who sees what you do when you're in your room on your knees in the dark by yourself. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He does, he's, not, he's not only listening when I stand up and speak with a microphone. He's my father who sees what I do in secret when no one else is watching. In, the, in my basement at five in the morning before church, he sees that. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply, like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best, as above, so below. Keep us alive <coughs> with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. And there's, friends, there's so much how to process. We could spend the next two or three weeks going through this scripture. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next week or two and meditate on this scripture. If your prayer life currently consists of asking God for things, feeling guilty asking God for things, and then perhaps thanking him if you get a parking and close to the door at Checkers, 
right? If that's what your prayer life consists of, and you want to change that, take this scripture, Matthew chapter 6. Go and meditate on it. Go and read it. What is Jesus saying? What, is, what, what would the people that he was saying it to have understood him to be saying? What is God saying to you through this scripture? See, here's what will happen. As you begin to mull these things over, as you read them, as you think about them, as you ask God to teach you about them, as you chat to your life group about them, what you're beginning to do is exist in a state of tefillah. Remember, prayer is not an activity that you do. Prayer is a state of relationship that we exist in. So the prayer that Jesus is praying here is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus isn't telling us what to pray here. He's telling us how to pray. He's giving us a model of how to pray. So is there value in praying the Lord's Prayer word for word? Sure. Jesus, Jesus prays it word for word. But he's not saying this is what you must pray. He's saying this is how you must pray. And so if, that, if, 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 if Jesus, the example that Jesus gives us is how we should pray, how should we pray? A couple of quick things and then we're done. How do we pray? Number one, with authority, using a normal voice and normal language. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus, when he's betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? Judas has to come and betray him with a kiss. He has to identify him to the soldiers with a kiss. What that means is the most spiritual man of all time dressed the same, sounded the same, and looked the same as all the people around him. The Pharisees were different to that, right? The Pharisees wore expensive robes. The Pharisees had uh, like jewelry and, and, and entourage following them. They stood in the street corners and, and, and prayed in loud voices with fancy words. Jesus calls them hypocrites in Matthew chapter 6. But when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, he has to be identified with a kiss. If you want to live a life of tefillah, if you want to live and exist in this relationship in this state of prayer, you don't need to dress fancy. You don't need to have a special voice that you bring out to pray with. You don't need to have special language that you pray. See, I sit, I sit watching some people pray, and then I sit having coffee with them, and there's a disconnect. How they pray and how they speak to me when they have coffee is different, and I, I don't understand it. We must dress respectfully, speak respectfully, but don't only do that when you pray. What you're doing is reducing prayer to an activity that you do and then you don't do. Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't turn your prayers into a theatrical production. God doesn't have box seats to your prayer performance. This doesn't mean that we should pray together, that we shouldn't pray together in corporate settings. See, friends, your, your faith is personal, but it's not private. So what Jesus is saying is, if you haven't prayed in private, don't come and pray uh, in public with fancy words so that people think you're spiritual doesn't impress God, and it actually makes people who are growing in their prayer life feel intimidated. I, I often ask people to, to pray uh, out loud in, in corporate settings for the first time, and you know the number one reason that I'm given why they can't do that? The number one reason, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, which I think is tragic. See, if, if I'm asked to do an impromptu oral, right, a schoolboy's biggest fear, an impromptu oral in English, if I'm asked to do that on a subject that I know very little about, I'm going to stand up and I'm not going to know what to say. I've got a problem. I'm going to start sweating. If I'm sitting at the table with my daughter having dinner and she asks me a question that I know the answer to, I don't have to think about fancy words to say. I don't have to think about how I should say it. I just speak to her. Just speak. 
I think those of us who are mature believers, who think of ourselves as mature believers, need to understand this further. Your authority in prayer doesn't come from your clever words. Your authority in prayer doesn't come from how loudly or softly you speak. Authority, because if that was so, then your authority rests in you. It rests in yourself, right? How loudly or softly the words that you use, then that authority rests in you. No, friends, our authority comes from Jesus. In the, in the book of Acts, <coughs> Peter and John are preaching, and uh, they heal a, a man of le- they cure a man of leprosy, and the Sanhedrin they're called before the Sanhedrin, who's like the religious religious authority of the time. And these guys have got a problem, right? They they've killed Jesus. They, they, they think they've put to an end this nonsense of Jesus saying he's the Son of God and claiming to be the Son of God and claiming authority and claiming power. They've killed him. They think they've put it to an end. And all of a sudden, there's these two guys coming and speaking his name. Now they've healed the guy, and there's there's a bit of a ruckus in Jerusalem. And so they've called them. Some what's going on? Explain yourselves. Essentially, is what they're saying. Acts chapter four, verse ten. Peter stands up before them and he says this. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, friends, our authority in prayer doesn't come from our clever words. It doesn't come from how loudly or softly we pray. Our authority comes from the name which carries authority, the name at which every knee shall bow on earth and heaven and under the earth, the name which is above every other name, Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. It's not not something that we just do because it's the right thing to do. No, that's where our authority comes from. We pray in Jesus' name. See, if prayer is just an activity then I need to get it right. If prayer is an activity, then I need to make sure to say the right thing at the right time in the right way because it's an activity and I better get it right. But if prayer is a relationship, then it's okay. See, I don't get upset with my, when my eight-year-old daughter tells me long stories and she asks me a thousand questions. I'm just stoked to be with her. She's not sitting there thinking to herself, I don't know what to say to dad. All she's thinking to herself is, my dad wants to be with me. He wants to answer my questions, if he can. And if I keep asking from this state of relationship, if I keep asking, perhaps on Friday night I can stay over at Tako's house. That's all she's thinking. Most often I say no, because as a side note, parenting advice, don't give in to constant asking and asking. But she's asking from a state of relationship. All she knows, she's not worried about, should I say the right words to dad? No, no. All I know is that dad wants to be with me. He wants to answer my questions if he can. And, I, and, and th- that, that communion is fostering a relationship. I love Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 that we read just now. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. You want to grow in your prayer life? Perhaps your prayers just need to be a bit more simple. Perhaps your prayers just need to be a bit more simple. Number two, how do we pray? Mind the missing middle. Mind the missing middle. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of Christ Jesus in God for you. So there's three commands here. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And I think so many people sit in trying circumstances, trying to rejoice and trying to give uh, thanks, yet they aren't able to do it consistently. Why? Because they've got a missing middle. You aren't ever able to keep rejoicing and keep giving thanks if you aren't praying without ceasing. See, if prayer is just an activity, then how do I pray without ceasing? Do I have 24-hour prayer meetings? Sure. But then what do I do the 24 hours after that? 
and the 24 hours after that. See, at some stage, I've got to eat. some stage, I've got to sleep, go to work. If prayer is just an activity, I cannot pray without ceasing. <laughs> Neither can you. See, the command here is to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Prayer makes sense of this. A state of relationship makes this possible. When prayer isn't just an activity, but it's a state of relationship, it moves my prayers backwards in my focus. Remember, I spoke a few weeks ago around focus and the three levels of focus, concentration, selective attention, and open awareness. And to pray without ceasing, this command here, pray without ceasing, what, what Paul is saying is move, move your prayer life backwards in your focus. Prayer isn't something that I come and give um, a concentration to for a couple of minutes. Let's say, let's say, you give it 15 minutes a day for seven days a week, which is pretty generous for most people, right? Let's say you do that. Let's say you give it 30 minutes a day. Let's be, let's be extra generous. 30 minutes a day, seven days a week. What the scripture is saying, you can't put concentration on prayer for 30 minutes a day, seven days a week, and then the rest of the day, the other 23 and a half hours per day times six, you forget about it. He's saying, no, take it, from your con- take it from concentration. Move it backwards into your selective attention. Move it backwards into your open awareness, but keep moving it up and down those layers of your focus. It doesn't go, it's not in your mind and out your mind. It's not, it's not an activity that I do today and then I stop doing when I'm driving. And I, I do it when I'm at prayer meeting and then I stop doing it when I'm speaking with my wife. No, friends, it's, it's, still in, it's still in my open awareness. I'm still aware of it. I'm praying without ceasing because it's a state of relationship that I exist in, not an activity that I do and then don't do. We wonder why we can't keep rejoicing, why we can't keep giving thanks. It's because you have a missing middle. Rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. The instruction here is everything that you do, whether you're doing well, whether you're doing poorly, whether you succeed, whether you fail, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every word, every deed. Why? I think it's very hard to keep sinning in the name of Jesus. If every word and every deed is I'm doing in Jesus' name, it's very hard to keep harboring prejudice in my heart in the name of Jesus. It's very hard to keep gossiping in the name of Jesus. It's very hard to keep slandering my neighbor in the name of Jesus. See, if prayer is just an activity that I do, then it's okay. I can do those things. I can gossip and slander and harbor prejudice, and it doesn't affect my prayer because it's separate. But if prayer is a state of relationship that I exist in, then every word and every deed that I do, everything in the name of Jesus, affects the state of my relationship. It affects my prayer because it affects the state of my relationship. can't live this way. I have to change because every word and every deed in Jesus' name is affecting the state of my tefillah. <coughs> Number three, how do we pray? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Some of you if, you, if you went to Sunday school when you were younger, might have been taught a simple formula for prayer. Praise, repentance, ask for others, and yourself. P-R-A-Y. Praise, repentance, ask for others and yourself. I think that that's an, if, if that's how you pray still today, I think it's okay. The formula is okay, but I do think you're missing out on so much more of what your prayer life can be. So I think the value in the formula is that it, it taught you to order your prayers, right? It put yourself last. That was, that, that was the value in it. It ordered your prayers, but what it couldn't do was order your life. An ordered life is far more valuable than an ordered prayer. 
if prayer, again, if prayer is an activity, then I need to have an ordered prayer. But if prayer is a state of relationship, then I need to have an ordered life. I can't, I can't live a disordered life and then come and order my prayers quite cleverly. Makes no difference. Prayer is a state of relationship that I exist in, not an activity that I do. So if prayer is a state of relationship, then I need to live in a state of thanksgiving. I can't live an ungrateful life and then come to God and, and, and try to be thankful in my prayers. If I'm, an etern- if I'm an eternally ungrateful person, God's not listening to my thankful prayers. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, some, some people suffer from clinical anxiety. And if that's you, perhaps you need to go on medication. There's no argument about that. But too many people, I think, exist in a state of general anxiety. And then we add guilt on top of that because we tell ourselves Christians shouldn't be anxious. Again, if, if you have clinical anxiety, that's a chemical imbalance in your body. You, you, you just need to take medicine, and that, that isn't opposite to your faith, right? So if I've got an iron deficiency in my body, I take an iron supplement and I pray. There's no difference for another chemical imbalance, right? There's no argument about that. But for some people, anxiety is partially treatable with medicine. But the only way for all of us, for any of us, to not be anxious about anything is to make your requests known to God. So many of us live in a state of general anxiety, and it's because our prayers, our requests have not been made known to God. We talk to man about God more than we talk to God about man. Talk to God about men more than you talk to men about God. In everything, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and then the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. How do we pray? Number four, in agreement. Matthew chapter 18 Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 says this, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Here's a funny thing about humans. We try and automatically, uh, we default to what Jesus isn't saying here, right? So let's just quickly deal with that. What, what isn't Jesus saying here? Jesus isn't saying, I only listen to you when there's two or more of you agreeing, right? That's not what he's saying. So let's forget that. Let's look at concentrate what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is emphasizing community here. The same, same as he says, where two or more of you are gathered, I'm with you. He's, then forget the negative. He's not saying I'm not with you when you're by yourself. He's emphasizing community, right? This is what Jesus is emphasizing. The power of prayer in agreement is being emphasized by Jesus. So when you come and pray together, don't pray prayers that make no sense to anybody else. They can't agree with them. Don't pray long stories. People fall asleep. Don't spend your time, all of your time praying in tongues if you pray in tongues. Pray simple prayers that everyone can agree with. There's power in the prayer of agreement. It's a scientific equation. P equals MV. Any takers? P equals MV. Zuzo, you're nodding. P equals MV. Angas. Yes? Momentum equals mass times velocity. Momentum equals mass times velocity. In other words, you can measure the momentum of an object based on how heavy it is and how fast it's going, okay? The heavier an object is, the faster it's going, the more momentum it has. The more momentum something has, the harder it is to stop. 
So when you pray, and I pray with you in agreement, I agree with your prayer, what I'm in essence I'm doing is I'm adding weight, I'm adding speed to your prayer. The, the heavier the thing is and the faster it goes, the more momentum it has, right? Remember, Jesus isn't saying, I only listen to prayers with the most momentum. Jesus is saying, friends, sometimes your prayers need momentum. Some of the things that you trust in God for, some of the things that we trust in God for, need to be unstoppable. And for them to be unstoppable, they need more momentum. They need more weight. They need more speed. When you pray in agreement, you add momentum to each other's prayer. You see, again, because prayer is not an activity, it's a state of relationship, I can't live in a disagreement. I can't live in disagreements with Rich. And then when we pray together, expect to agree and expect to add momentum to his prayers. No, I have to live agreeable lives. Friends, some of us, some of our prayers carry no weight because you are disagreeable people. Sometimes we just need to live in agreement in a community that we have agreement with so that we can, add a, we can add momentum to one another's prayers. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, that word amen literally means let it be so. Amen is a word of agreement. We close our prayers agreeing with what has just been said. But that's not the only time that we need to agree. How do we pray? Number five. To the Father, in Jesus' name, as the Spirit enables. John chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus says this, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. When we pray, we pray to the Father, through Jesus, as the Spirit enables. And so the goal of this evening, I want your prayer life to be richer. I want your prayer life to not be an activity, but to be sparked in a relationship. I, I want the flame of that relationship to be sparked this evening. And my desire is that your prayer life would go from a zero to a one, from a one to a three, from a three to a six, that it would grow a little bit more. If your prayer life consists of asking God for a thing here and there and thanking Him for a parking at checkers, and that's it, I want to help you with where you start in your prayers. We pray to the Father, through Jesus, as the Spirit enables us. There's sometimes that I pray to Jesus specifically for things. There's sometimes that I pray to the Spirit specifically for things, but we'll get there. If you're starting out this evening, a good place to start. You pray to the Father, through Jesus, as the Spirit enables us. Number six, and lastly, how do we pray? My words declaring His word. My words declaring His word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, says this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, as I pray, it's important for me to understand and to know what the Bible says. It puts an, it puts a, an onus on me to know what the Bible says, because if, if I'm trusting God for something, if I'm praying for a certain situation, and I can pray the very words of God into that situation, I think that's the best words I can pray into that situation, right? I, I want my prayers to be as effective as possible. I, I don't want to be a person shouting into the storm, into the wind, and my voice is just carried off and, and means nothing. No, friends, I want my prayers to be as effective as they can. And so I want to make sure that I'm living in this state of tefillah. I'm living, uh, living in this relationship with God where I live with thanksgiving, where I live in agreement with a community. And I want to pray in the, in the authority of Jesus' name. And if I can declare God's words with my words, I think that's about as effective as my prayer can get. Friends, I want your prayers to be effective. I want you to pray effective prayers. I, I want you to waste your time praying for a parking. I want your prayers to be effective, praying for good exam marks when you, haven't, you know that you haven't studied. 
It's a waste of a prayer. I want your prayers to be effective. Give it the best chance. My words declaring, it says it's a double-edged sword. It's my words declaring his words. My words declaring his words. It's a double-edged sword. How do we pray? With authority, using a normal voice and language. Mind the missing middle. Rejoice, pray without ceasing. Give thanks on all things. With thanksgiving, living in a state of thanksgiving. Fourthly, in agreement. Fifthly, to the Father, through Jesus, as the Spirit enables. And sixthly, my words, declaring his words. Friends, we speak to man about God more than we speak to God about man, and that's got to stop. Prayer was never intended by God to be a ritual that we partake in occasionally, but rather a natural state of communion between himself and us. Can you stand with me, please? I want to pray for two groups of people today. The first is those who've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Perhaps you've been coming to church for a while. Perhaps you've been coming for years. Perhaps it's your first time here. You have no, you have no context of the Christian faith and this God that we worship. Either, either of those is okay. If you've never made a concentrated decision, an act of your will to place all of your trust in Jesus as the only one who can forgive your sins, as the only one who can make it possible for you to live like he did, as the only one who can make it possible for you to be with him as opposed to apart from him for eternity. If you've never made that decision to place your trust in Jesus, I want to pray for you this evening. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than raise your hand. Is there anyone here this evening? I'm not in a rush. You've got a minute or so. Is there anyone? The second group of people I want to pray for is those who have thought of tefillah, of prayer, as an activity not a state of relationship. I want to pray with you today. Perhaps you feel as if you've never been able to pray well. Perhaps you've worried about not knowing what to say. Perhaps you've worried with guilt because all it seems you ever do is ask God for things. I want to pray with you this evening. If that's you, won't you pray with me? Father, thank you that we were created to be in perfect union, in perfect communion with you. Would we share values would we share responsibility? Would we share duties? Would we share relationship with you? Thank you, Jesus, that you've made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and for us to be with the Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you enable us to pray, that you enable us to live lives in a state of union with you. I pray for every person who isn't living in the fullness of the gift of tefillah, of prayer that you have given to us. Would you, Holy Spirit, enable us to live as Jesus lived, would you enable us to ask from a place of relationship, of deep community and relationship? Thank you that we are not far off. Thank you that we've been brought close. Would you bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.